0: Hello and welcome to classicalpodcast.com, I'm Lou Smoley, and I'm here to tell you that more than 10 years we have been streaming free programs of classical music not often heard in the concert hall or on other podcasts or radio programs, and this is all thanks to your generous donations. In order to ensure that our unique programs continue, we appreciate your ongoing support. We welcome donations, large or small, and remind you that because we are a non-profit organization, your contributions are fully tax-deductible. Thank you so much for helping us to make classicalpodcasts.com one of the most listened-to websites of its kind in the world. Hello and welcome to this edition of Buried Treasure. My name is Lou Smoley, and today we present the first of several parts in which we'll present the symphonies of French composers. Since the 18th century, the symphony has been considered, of course, the pinnacle of orchestral genre. Historically, it came from the Italian opera overture and then made its way to the Austro-Germanic region of Europe during the late 18th and 19th centuries, uh, where and when some of the greatest symphonists developed their art to what many consider the high point of its splendor. Yet other major European countries concentrated more intently on other genres than the symphony, such as opera, song, and instrumental music, generating symphonies more in the periphery of their overall musical output. So we thought to concentrate on symphonies written by composers in such countries. We'll begin this series with symphonies by French composers from the 18th to the 20th centuries. During this period, it would seem that the most esteemed composers who flourished in France seemed rather uninterested in writing symphonies. The isolated symphonies that they did write were, however, often major works. For this first part in our series, we have chosen a symphony by each of five important French composers. Of course, there are many other composers that we've skipped over, primarily because their symphonies uh, are more familiar to us uh, than all the others that we're presenting. For example, the famous symphony in C major by Bizet. We're going to begin with a composer who was actually not a native Frenchman having been born in Austria, but whose career centered principally in Paris. His name may be familiar to some of you, but more because it appears on some of the most famous piano manufactured in the last 20 years, Ignace Joseph Playel. During Playel's lifetime, his dates of 1757 to 1831, he was one of the most popular and highly respected composers beside Haydn and Mozart. He wrote 41 symphonies, although some say he actually wrote over 50, as well as numerous concerti, smaller orchestral pieces, and a massive number of chamber and instrumental works. Playel studied in Vienna with the inimitable Bohemian composer Johann Baptist von Hall, who was himself a noted symphonist. And when von Hall died, Playel became a pupil of Haydn. Haydn thought very highly of Pleyel's abilities and naturally Haydn became a major influence on Pleyel's writing. Pleyel soon began writing operas after he went to Italy, then came an appointment as assistant to another important symphonist from the Mannheim school, Franz Zaver Richter, in 1784. In December of 1791, the year of Mozart's very early death, Pleyel went to London, where he renewed his friendship with Haydn. His years in Strasbourg thereafter were also very fruitful. In 1795, Pleyel settled in Paris, where he established himself uh, in a publishing house, which he uh, himself had created. Later, he became interested in piano manufacturing and devoted a great deal of time to this endeavor. The French Revolution generated much danger to his career uh, during this time. As with so many 18th century composers, Playel left a large array of works that needed to be edited and organized. Where Mozart had Kerschel, Playel had Rita Benton. And so the name Benton uh, was associated with Playel's works and a, he and she appended the uh, to her abbreviated name, the numbers that she assigned uh, in her chronological ordering of Playel's works. Several of the particular stylistic characteristics found their way into Playel's symphonies, such as extensive slow introductions to the first movement, a certain haydn characteristic, uh, and they became more and more prominent in Playel's symphonies. Four-movement classical structure soon dominated, but for the most part, Playel's symphonies were representative of the highest level of symphonic composition of his time, certainly worthy to stand aside of Mozart's and Haydn's contributions in this genre. Yet Playel liked to keep things simple rather than ornate or technically complex. His symphonies are easy to listen to, not overcrowded with polyphonic interplay, but brilliantly conceived. Fortunately, there have been several recordings of many of Playel's symphonies, and it became rather difficult to find the one that I thought best suited his importance as a composer of symphonies. Among them are a series of symphonies referred to as symphonies périodiques, meaning the style of the time. Uh, In fact, number six in this series in F major has become a favorite. But instead, I've chosen his symphony in C major, Op. 66, Benton 154. This symphony dates from 1803, an important year because it was the same year in which Beethoven wrote his famous third symphony, the Eroica. Pleyel's C major symphony is in four movements. It begins with a spacious adagio introduction in which dotted rhythms predominate. Then comes an energetic allegro, in sonata form with two principal themes. The first predominates the development, the second begins the recapitulation. The slow second movement is in F major and dispenses with trumpets and drums uh, given its shapely ceremonial theme which is presented by muted strings. A springy Haydnesque esque minuet and trio follows also in F major. Here the flute is given prominence and the trio has a lilting waltz to its credit. The colorful rondo finale seems rather carefree at first, but a middle section in A minor featuring the flute again seems somewhat less than joie de vivre. We'll hear the London Mozart players, conducted by Matthias Bamert, in the symphony in C major, opus 66, Benton 154, by Ignaz Pleiel. Thank you. our series on French symphonies with Playel's Symphony in C Major, Opus 66, performed by the London Mozart Players, directed by Matthias Bamert. Our next French composer of symphonies is probably less well-known than Playel. Her name, Louise Ferenc. She was born in 1804 when Playel was in his heyday. Her family, the Dumonts, contained several artists from which she developed a love of music. Ferenc became a noted pianist after studying with two of the most important pianists of her day, Ignaz Möschels and Johann Nepomuk Hummel. Then Ferenc took lessons from Anton Reicher, who taught at the French Conservatory. In 1821, Ferenc married Aristide Ferenc, also a musician, and so To history, she was known as Louise Ferenc. She stayed in Paris for much of her life and developed a sterling reputation as both a performer and composer. Her early works were mostly for the piano, many of which were highly praised by none other than Robert Schumann, for example. For the most part, Ferenc was a chamber music composer and that generated her greatest interest, I think, But she did write three symphonies, although she did have some difficulty trying to overcome the negative effect of sexism that prevailed at the time and dogged her career as an orchestral composer. Yet these three symphonies, which all have been recorded, are impressive examples of the genre. We're going to listen to the first of these three symphonies, written in 1841. It was warmly received at its premiere both by audience and critics, one of whom was Fethi, the Belgian music critic, who highly praised her obvious talents. Mendelssohn seems an obvious influence here, uh, as he was for so many composers uh, at the time and later. The symphony is in four movements. The first opens with a somber introduction, Andante Sostenuto, which works its way to a forceful and dramatic allegro. Certain characteristics should be noted. A concentration of thematic material, rich thematic development, and rich orchestration. An adagio cantabile is the second movement. It has a broad and noble theme, underlined by occasionally pulsating bass rhythms. The minuet and trio, marked allegretto, is charged with nervous energy, contrast with a lyrical trio Seasoned with light orchestral colors. The finale, marked Allegro Assai, is rather violently impetuous. We hear the Orchestra de Bretagne, conducted by Stefan Sanderling, in the Symphony No. 1 in C minor, opus 32, by Louise Ferrin.
1: (音楽) ¶¶
0: You've heard the first symphony by Louise Ferrinck. The three other composers of symphonies that we'll present during this first part of our series on the French symphony are better known today to audiences than were the first two that I presented a moment ago. And although their symphonies have been performed occasionally, they deserve a more dedicated exposure. The first is Vincent Dandy. Principally known for his Symphony on a French Mountain Air for piano and orchestra from 1886. But we're not going to hear that work because it is so well known. He wrote three other symphonies as well. His first, written in 1872, is in A minor and subtitled Italian after Mendelssohn's fourth. Each of the work's four movements are intended to musically depict the character of an Italian city. First Rome, then Venice, Florence, and Naples. Dandy was in his early 20s when he wrote this work. Although we will not be hearing it, it is a worthy first effort at symphony, and has been recorded. The second symphony is what we're going to be listening to in B-flat, Opus 57, written in 1903. Being strongly influenced by the music of César Franck, Dandy utilized Franck's cyclical form in this work. Its two themes that grace the opening bars of the slow introduction form the principal thematic material for the entire four-movement work. The movements are marked extremely slow, then very fast; the second, moderately slow; the third, moderato, very animated, and the finale begins slow. Um, With a moderato and solemn pace, and then very fast. You may also notice a touch of Scriabin occasionally in this music. I should also mention that Dandy's third symphony, subtitled Di Bello Gallico, Op. 73, is is worth a hearing. It's a war symphony that evokes much power and dramatic character. But we're going to listen to the second, and I think you'll know why when you hear it. It's a substantial work Lasting nearly 45 minutes, but it's well worth the listening. And we're going to hear a very important historical recording of this work with the San Francisco Symphony, directed by Pierre Monteux. Chanson Dandy's second symphony in B-flat, opus 57, with the San Francisco Symphony directed by Pierre Monteux. French composer Ernst Chanson is best known for his gorgeous work for violin called Poem. But he did write a most intriguing and enjoyable symphony. It was his only one and is in B-flat major, given the, the opus number 20. It is occasionally performed, uh, but I thought it was worthy of bringing back here in this first part of our series on French symphonies. Chasson also uses Franck's cyclical form uh, in this three-movement work from 1890. It begins rather darkly with an introduction that builds to a strong and powerful climax giving every impression of beginning uh, a major dramatic work. But then, by magic, as the exposition begins, uh, the music lightens up to a simply delightful allegro that contains a bravura theme, which is as much rhapsodic as it is in, in some degree restrained. After an engaging slow movement, the finale begins with an animated variation of the principal theme over a whirling figure in the strings. A second theme is cited by the oboe over a trill from two flutes. After a deftly compact development, the recapitulation brings together the entire orchestra with waves or crescendos building to a strong climax. Then the introductory material from the first movement comes back In the basses. After further references to the first movement, the work is brought to a conclusion not overpowering, but subjected to some restraint. But there is much vibrant and captivating lyrical material here in this relatively quiet conclusion. So let's listen to the symphony in B-flat by Ernst Chanson, for which we bring back the San Francisco Symphony directed again by Pierre Monteux. Symphony in B-flat by Ernst Chanson. Another important French composer known primarily for a single work, but also who wrote one symphony, was Paul Ducat. His famous The Sorcerer's Apprentice will live on in memory, despite its increasingly rare performance, due in large measure to its brilliant cartoonized characterization by Walt Disney in his Fantasia. Dukas' Symphony in C, written between 1895 and 96, is a post-romantic masterpiece. It contains three movements. They are marked Allegro non troppo, vivace, ma con fuoco. Second movement, Andante espressivo e sostenuto. And the finale, Allegro spirituoso. Music full of impetuous uh, virtuosity and ingeniously manipulated by Dukas to a thrilling conclusion. As a whole, the symphony shows what a brilliant symphonic composer Dukas was in every respect. His musical material is captivating, his orchestration exceptional, and his structural skills formidable. Although rather extensive in length, it is never, I think, true to say, boring. Uh, Always his musical material is absorbing, skillfully developed uh, and bound to retain attention. So let's listen now to the symphony in C major by Paul Ducat, performed now by the Orchestra Nationale of the French Radio and TV, conducted by Jean Martinon. <laughs> And so we conclude this relatively brief first look at our series on French symphonies. Uh, we will, in the following part, number two, hear examples of important French symphonies by such notable composers as Albert Roussel, Edouard Lalo, Henri Barraud, and Darius Milhaud. Until then, this has been Lou Smoley for Buried Treasure. And please don't forget to make a contribution to the website to keep it a free service. Just go to our homepage at classicalpodcasts.com where you can donate any amount through PayPal.